Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Papercut. This week, we'll be discussing Damien, the story of Emile Sinclair's youth by Herman Hesse. Eugene, take it away. So, <clears throat> yeah, Damien, this is actually a guest request by uh, one of my good friends, Artem, and I uh, just want to give him a shout out here. He's been one of the reasons that I love reading so much. So, yep, Artem, if you're listening to this, I know you probably are. This one's to you. So, we have Damien. So what is it about? As the title says, it is about the youth of a guy called Emile Sinclair. And it basically goes through how he grows up. And as we all grow up, we all think about stuff that we aren't really accustomed to be thinking when we are children. And that is exactly what's been portrayed. So, the book is quite short and it gets split into different sections. And in each section, he's in different stages of life. So primary school, secondary school, boarding school, university, uh, post-university, etc. And in each of those sections, he discovers a new enlightenment, a new idea, either from his own reflections on himself or through people that he meets. So yeah, uh, that's the story in a nutshell. I would want to say though, this story is more of a philosophical piece than a plot. Like there's a loosely based plot line for which Herman uses to uh, convey his thoughts, but it's secondary. It's a secondary thing to the book. That's what I want to say. Right, right. Um, I think I've read Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, which is also a bit of a philosophical piece and is some extent a coming of age or growing up story but that's how these stories often are it's often like there's change and so when you mentioned this was a Herman Hesse book we were going to we were going to talk about I actually picked up the book myself Mm. and I saw it in a bookstore and it was really not that long so I decided okay I can do this in two days it's it's been more than two days I'll tell you now I'm nowhere I'm not even halfway through yet um, you have it, to pause, right, and think about it. Yeah. You have to pause and think. And also, it's not that it's difficult to follow, but it's also translated from German, you know? Mm. I, I think it is, right? It's yeah, not, yeah. It wasn't English. And so because it was translated, from, especially from German, if you've read any of the old German philosopher books, you, know, you, you need some time to just click a few things here and there. Mm. So, is that the case with the uh, Communist Manifesto as well? Oh, yes, Karl Marx and... <laughs> an angle but yeah like you just need a bit of time so I'm not done yet I'm halfway through feel free to spoil it by the way but Eugene uh, let's get straight into it what are your thoughts on the book Uh, before I go into that is it Hess or Hesse that's a great question I will look that up alright I did a quick google translate it turns out it was Hesse or Hess so you're right Eugene I'm sorry it's not Hesse (laughs) well let's go with Hess then (laughs) Yeah, so my thoughts on the book is more of a Dorian Gray type of book, you know. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of philosophy conveyed through dialogue and also through self-reflection. That's basically, like, the first impression I had. Also, the ending didn't really make sense to me. So the ending, she said, you don't mind me spoiling it, so I can just say, like, so the ending is him fighting in the First World War. Oh. And then he meets Damien in the war, and then they do some weird assimilation shit. Like it's not it's not sexual or anything. They look deep into each other's eyes or something, and Damien goes, "I'll always be here." And then he sleeps and he wakes up, and Damien's no longer there. It's that kind of thing which I'm just like, "Oh, okay, I don't really get the ending." Which is why when I first finished the book, I was a bit, I felt a bit empty because I felt like actually not not empty, but more like unfinished knots. You know, it's mm. like a 
Is that unfinished? I feel like there there, there no could closure. be more. Yeah, there could be more. No yeah. Catharsis. Yeah, or fa- whatever fancy words, but <laughs> basically there was no closure for the story. You put it very well. Yeah. Okay, so it's interesting that you mentioned that. I think just for the viewers, it's worth saying that Damien was released in nineteen nineteen, and I think it was. Uh, it was right after the war, so it makes it's interesting that he chose to end it at the First World War. I mean, I didn't know that, but it's interesting that he chose to end it there. Do we get where Damien and and Sinclair were from? Are they are they Swiss or are they German? Where are they from again? I'm not even sure if it's ever mentioned in the story, but I'm gonna assume that they're from the same place that Hess is from. And Hesse's Swiss. German Swiss. Or something. Uh, Somewhere around the area, you know. The weird ones. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. Okay, how would you have ended it? It's a weird question because, you know, it's, it, we, we've ventured into the realm of fanfic. But did, did you have, like, an idea of how you would have wanted it to end? Because if you think about it, it's a coming-of-age story, mm-hmm. right? And it, there's nothing that matures you faster than, I'd say, war. Yeah. You see sh- and I really mean shit. You see your friends die. You see your friends blow up. You yourself feel that anxiety every day. And that forces you to grow up. So I guess if it was a coming of age story, it kind of does make sense for it to end in the war scene. Like, What do you think about that? Do you think that oh, it no. should have been... Different? I have no beef about the... I have no beef about the place that it ended. It's mm. more like the way that it ended. I because see. I feel like there should have been a last chapter, like a conclusion type of chapter, where he brings all the ideas together and uh, maybe he brings up what he thought previously, like at the start. And he con- like he contrasts it with what he thinks now and he goes, okay, this is how I've grown. Or maybe because, um, you know, I don't like to use my brain when I read, so I like it written out black and white for me. But I think it makes sense that it's written like this because I think Hess himself would have wanted the readers to th- actually think for themselves and there's no clear-cut sort of like the biggest message in this book right i guess Mm. so everyone takes the bit that they think applies to them the most and that's probably why he ended it in the way that he did so that there's no bias or emphasis into what he wants to convey the most at least for me anyway so I know, I know Artem, who recommended the book for me, he said that for him, this book was like a tutorial for him to how to find himself. Because this book talks a lot about idealism. And idealism is, uh, in a nutshell, is basically the idea that reality is subjective. So like, reality, as you know, it depends on the way you perceive it, rather than being a golden source of truth. So Artem's saying that once you know what you want and once you can bend the reality within you, you can kind of bend the reality outside you. I think that's, I'm paraphrasing here, but Mm. I think that is the idea that he wants to convey. So for him, this was the main point of the story is that you should just listen to yourself and I guess follow your dreams in the most cliche way possible to put it. But yeah. Okay. It's interesting that you mentioned idealism in that way like sort of changing the way i suppose you look at things and then it somehow changes the way other things look outside so like you say you know reality is subjectively perceived Mm -hmm. um i mean it does make sense though uh in the course of the story you see bits and pieces of that so you've read through the part where in the boarding school or not the boarding school the secondary school where damien 
tries to move himself near to Sinclair, right? Mm-hmm. So when asked how he did it, Damien just said he observed the teachers and then he understood like how how they worked. So like if they were to ask him a question, he would just stare at them, and then somehow they'll get intimidated into not asking him, like into not going further, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of what the idea of idealism comes in is how he himself he wants to move next to Sinclair. He wants to move next to Sinclair. He wants to move his seating plan next to Sinclair. So he goes and does it. And by understanding the world around him, he molds the world in such a way that it accepts this um, sort of man-made irregularity, mm. if that makes sense. It, in a weird way, I think this is a more optimistic portrayal of idealism. Because when you think about it, when someone says, oh, he's an idealist, he dabbles in ideals, he, it's all about idealism mm-hmm. of him. They often mean, what they often mean is, this guy is just full of shit. Yeah. He's useless. And it's quite interesting because in this one, we have the case where the guy's idealistic and in no way does he really get his ideal. He doesn't achieve it, but he moves a step closer to it. And so I guess that in that sense, it is more optimistic to view it that way. Would you say that because it's a coming-of-age story, it dabbles only in ideas? When I think of of coming-of-age stories, there are a few things. It's all about growing up, and there are a few things that will always kind of be there. So, for example, you know, coming-of-age story, we'll have the scene where we're in school. We're learning something, and then, I don't know, we have some epiphany of what we want to do. And then we have, like, first loves, you know, we have an idealistic version of first love, idealistic version of first time going into university of all that like do you think that one of the reasons he decided to use a a coming of age story to portray this is because we tend to view our growing up as a series of idealistic ideal stepping stones yeah i guess so the period between when you start thinking to when you finish university i guess is the most ideal period in your life right where you would like formulate ideas in yourself and you would go oh I like this idea the most because it makes most sense in theory, mm. right? That's why a lot of people are um, left-leaning in colleges and when they come out, they actually realise it doesn't work. <coughs> Not agenda posting or anything. Not agenda posting and you realise, oh my God, my taxes, I have to pay that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but going back to my point, it's the best way to feed ideas into the protagonist, right? Because you starting out with basically an empty, a blank sheet of paper and you're writing it on it. If you were to portray Sinclair's, not youth, but maybe adult life, it would already be like a written piece of paper and you need to correct it and put new stuff on it, which will be a whole other story, right? It won't be a, as clear, like the message that he wants to portray as what he did here, if that makes sense. It's much easier to read the writing on a blank piece of paper than it is to read a corrected one. Mm. So I think that's why he chose a coming-of-age story. I see. You know, have you ever tried to sort of write the story of your life or or just piece the story of your life together? Because, I I don't know about you, but from personal experience, it's quite hard to piece a story of your life together. Firstly, because some things happened so long ago, you don't have accurate records of it. Secondly you tend to pick up the extreme moments. So either ones that made you really sad or the ones that made you really happy. And the in-betweens, those important in-between ones, those probably things that you probably don't think too much about, but played a massive role in your life, you've probably forgotten about them. 
And then sometimes, I don't know, and the third one, which I find, it's somewhat romantic, somewhat nice, and somewhat misleading as well, is, I don't know about you, but I've had some really shit experiences in life. Mm -hmm. But when I look back at them, there were parts that were really nice, and those parts stand out the most. You know, even though the entire experience was so bad. I, I, I recall, distinctively, I thought all of it was bad. There were just a few high points, and those parts jump out to me. My question to you is, do you think there's a bit of that in the way he's retold his coming-of-age story? Or do you think it's a fairly objective way he's put it? So, let me try to understand your question. Are mm -hmm. you saying, like, the way he wrote the story is subjective to the inert bias that you just... Well, not bias, but I guess, like, the, the inert way of recalling past events that you just described. Yeah, exactly. I guess what I'm trying to say is, because he's, he's doing this in retrospect, isn't yeah, he? He's, uh, he's not doing it as he's growing up. I guess so. So I'm just trying to think, like, from that point of view, is he a really... Is he just formulating these lessons now? So, like, you know, for example, let's say you stub your toe as a kid. All you're going to think is, oh, sh I stubbed my toe. You don't think of any greater meaning behind it. Are you... it's, when they, it's when you grow up a bit more that you ascribe a bit more meaning and go, okay, I stubbed my toe, therefore I learned. So are you this. saying, like, he knew the consequences of those lessons but only when he's writing this does he ascribe to where the idea actually came from something like that i guess i guess for the sake of this we'll go let's roll with that i i i guess so the thing is it's really hard to pinpoint what actually it is because even if i were to say okay um this idea of mine came from this series of long um, incremental events in my life. I'm not going to write all of it down. It's going to be boring. So mm. I'm just going to gloss over it. Like, um, I think in the boarding school, he said like, oh yeah, I spent days and nights drinking. Like, he can mm -hmm. go into each of those nights if he wanted to. I mean, he probably can't because he's drunk out of his mind. But still, just to say like, he won't be able to go deep into each of those events because they are too boring. So he just picks out the most interesting ones, the most, I guess, memorable ones to talk about as part of his story. Right, right. Because it's not going to be much of a philosophical masterpiece than just like some kind of weird journal that he gets trashed every night, right? Mm, I suppose so. And I guess, I guess you look at your history, you look at your own history, the more, the important parts also change, if that makes sense. So, yeah. for example, when I was 16, the most important thing was like, oh my god, that girl didn't like me, oh no, blah blah blah, like, I'm failing my classes, blah blah. And now that I'm a bit older, I look at that and go like, that stuff didn't matter, whereas the other stuff around it mattered, yeah. so... It's interesting to see how, I guess, from his point of view, like, he's chosen these specific moments. And like you said, you know, not all of them were particularly interesting. But I suppose to the writer, it was quite interesting. It's interesting to have because it punctuates some uh, a point he's trying to make. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's the way, you know, that's the best way to convey ideas to, yeah. right, the reader. So, yeah, there's no, I don't think there's any big dispute on how it should be written because... Like, do you think it should be written a different way, or you just think like this is just a nitpicky point that we that we were going into? No, I think it's more like when is he writing this? Because he's obviously picking a retrospective position. If he wrote this probably as he was growing up, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like first person, oh yeah, I'm twelve now. Blah, I'm thirteen now. I think you would have gotten a different story. And yeah. that's a. Okay. I mean, we're entering into uh, fanfic again, but. <laughs> This is a it's 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 a thought I have with sort of these narrations, and I've got nothing against them. Just sort of uh, pointing it out. Yeah, fair enough. So yeah, um, moving on. 
themes that were present in the book. So as we described just now, there was idealism, which was one of the biggest themes in the book, right? Because it is basically, you know, the whole idea of being able to achieve what you want based on what you think, I guess. No, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's the best way to put it. But there is also, I'm not sure if I mentioned this just now, but there's also like a key element to it. So Hess calls it the intrinsic value of the person. Mm. So I actually didn't understand this at first, but I had to talk to Artem to understand it a bit more. But he's basically saying like, okay, imagine if you were fireflies or like birds. So fireflies can find their mates like within a few kilometers and birds can like fly across continents and all that stuff. Yeah. So they're saying like, this is kind of like a miracle of nature and it's only possible because the birds want it inherently as part of their intrinsic value, which is why they're able to perform such a quote-unquote miracle. Like, I think we now know that um, birds can do it because of some magnetic field in their brain and all that kind of stuff. But before, it was like, uh, they were saying, like, you can achieve anything you want, provided that what you want is an intrinsic value of yours. I think at some point in the book, correct me if I'm wrong, I might have overlapped it, of something else they they had a little conversation about willpower and yeah. sort of willing something into being and that how... was the sitting next to him bit that, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the one that's the one um that's quite early on the book so that's why i remember and it's interesting that he mentions that because i don't think i fully wrapped my head around it i'll need to revisit that that part but i think i do know what you mean and and what you're saying now does sort of help yeah let me understand that a bit more so yeah because it's saying like it needs to be reasonable right mm-hmm. it can't be like i want to suddenly have a million dollars right in front of me like it's not going to work like that have you watched uh, have you heard of the secret the book the book or the movie the secret no Base. that's basically what it is no. you sit there and you make fancy little paintings for yourself and then you slowly pray you say i want it i want a car you sit there say i want a car i want an elephant i want a pet tiger and boom all of a sudden it'll appear in your room but you need to be very good at drawing then. you need to be very good at drawing I can't even draw a hundred dollar bill or... Oh, thank God. Yeah, it's a counterfeiting of you. <laughs> oh man, but sorry, sorry, you were saying... No, yeah, that's basically it. The idea of idealism and how... Well, I think we've, we've talked enough about idealism. So there is another interesting idea in it. The Mark of Cain, mm-hmm. which has been brought up at the start of the book, as well as throughout the book as well has been mentioned. You can correct me if I'm wrong on this because I'm a bit hazy on the memory there. But the Mark of Cain is... In the Bible, it's um, originally portrayed as like a mark that God puts on Cain after he, you know, killed his brother Abel Mm -hmm. and got banished from the Garden of Eden. And Cain was like, oh no, the people will kill me. So I don't know what people he's talking about. Because uh, he's only four of them. Yeah, and and he killed the other one. He killed 25% of the human race. Did he like just asexually produce or something? Well, anyway, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that's not part of the story. So he, God put the mark of Cain on him as like a kind of protection. So people can't kill him because he has that mark on him. But it's been viewed at later generations as like mark of a murderer and mm. a mark of like someone who betrays his family or something like that. So Damien said like, okay, this mark of Cain sh- is not actually what it says in the Bible. Yeah. He's saying that, uh, because of the way history is written by the masses, and the masses usually um, ignorant and afraid of people with knowledge. They're saying that the Mark of Cain is ascribed to people like that, who the masses fear, and they invent something as like a symbol to put on the people that they fear, the knowledgeable people that they fear, I think. And that way they invent the Mark, they 
put it on the people and they make this whole backstory about the mark on them to prevent more people into joining their ranks. Okay. Okay. I, I do remember coming across this part of the book and I think it's interesting that you say that it's actually like the way things recreate. Because I, if I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I remember the idea was that Emil asks Damien like, so does he, did history ever happen? And yeah. Damien replies, yeah, history happened. And then Emil goes, yeah, so there's only one way to interpret, there's this way to interpret this, to which Damien replies, no, the history happened, but the interpretation keeps on changing. The interpretation of the event keeps on changing. I guess so. And so yeah. it's become, it's, uh, the mark of Cain has become demonized in that sense. Oh, yeah, sorry, that's I th- right. I think that's what, you, I mean, it's similar to what you're getting at as well, like, the masses sort of uh, ascribing this sort of but it didn't start off with that i didn't start off with that no because it started off with emil questioning like did this event even happen to which damien goes yeah it did it's like chinese whispers right it's chinese whispers but at the end of the day that's kind of what history is Mm, true history is written for or by the victors take your pick it's an interesting one to go through and i think i'm still in the early stages of the book and the mark of cain comes up every now and again but, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Mark of Cain, for me, comes up as this idea that, uh, you know, it comes up as a, as a rogue idea, such that, you know, he when he brings up with people, he does it to spark conversation. Yeah, it's uh, also, it's meant to be a mark of enlightenment, I feel. Like, people with the Mark of Cain, they think differently to normal people. So they, mm. they are able to almost have this sort of, like, radiant glow from them that Sinclair sees and they he recognizes them as people who follow the thoughts of him and Damien and that's when he starts talking to them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean it makes sense though and I guess from a coming in of age sort of standpoint because I'm just I'm only thinking of this now it kind of reflects that slightly more rebellious stage. Yeah. You know? The mark of Cain like people who think a bit differently. So that's probably I don't know maybe is that that's probably what he was sort of driving to with this story like do you do you have something do you have a different thought about this sorry say that again do you have like a different thought about this or am i just reading this really wrong like uh, completely wrong a different thought about about like um, about whether or not like this sort of mark of cain idea is more representative of rebelliousness yeah i i don't want i don't want to use rebellious right mm. so maybe i keep using the word enlightenment mm. so in the sense of the story people with um, the school of thought that Damien and Sinclair had were considered to be the more enlightened people, the ones who understands the rules of the world and are, are not afraid to manipulate them and not afraid to step a bit out of line to get what they want. Mm. So this is kind of what the Mark of Cain is talking about. It's those people who understand the world's rules and they are not scared to disobey them sometimes. Okay. So, yeah. There was this there's there was this dream, right, that Sinclair had. Um I think it's later on in the book than you have you you've been, but it's basically like him flying. Okay, I haven't been there yet. So yeah, Go he on. was he was flying and then he told a dream to his mentor called Pistorius. Um, <laughs> not not the South African one. And Pistorius said, Whoa um, it is a good dream because it shows that you are willing to go beyond human nature, right? To to do stuff that normally is considered impossible. And he goes on to say that normal people, they will just walk on the sidelines and they won't actually uh, ascribe to anything because they will just obey the rules that the world imposes on them. But Sinclair, he says, like, Sinclair actually um, tries to look for ways in which he can control it and in which he can capitalize on it. 
And this is kind of like the enlightenment element of the Mark of Cain. It's the idea that you, you're able to view the world as it is from the intrinsic value of yourself and to be able to, it all ties in, right? And to be able to um, manipulate it. So, yeah. So I think another idea of the idealism bit is that the whole world is inside you as well. So there's this part where he goes like, um, every single thing in the world, right, mm-hmm. is already in you. Right. So when he flies, he was using like uh, he was using like breathing in, breathing out function to um, control his height. Mm-hmm. And then Pistorius goes, "Oh, actually, this is an evolutionary trait that's present in in fish that's like a thousand years ago, and they had like a same kind of function in their like some kind of gland to control their swimming or something like that." So he's saying like, and you didn't even know about that I didn't. yet. I, I I didn't fact check on this, so I don't know. I don't know if it's just like just a plot device or it's an actual thing. But the the point is that Sinclair didn't know about the organ, and yet he was using it to his advantage. Mm. So there was something like deeper was within yeah. him, and it wasn't really about creating himself. It was more about digging out himself, like divine yeah. revealing himself in that. Some kind of like all that is to be discovered is already inside you. So you just oh. need to know what it is. That's a nice idea. Yeah. I don't need to do anything anymore, right? It's just in me, man, you know? Just need to sit down and relax. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay, okay. Uh, we have a few moments left. Did uh, did Artem or did you have any quotes that you really wanted to share with, any, with us? Yeah, just one. So it goes like this, right? Those who are too lazy and comfortable to think for themselves and be their own judges, obey the laws. Others sense their own laws within them. So yeah, just the kind of stuff that I've been saying throughout the entire session. True. Do you think that people ultimately find themselves, quote-unquote, or do you think some people are luckier than others, if that makes sense? Some people are lucky enough to find themselves. Well, that's the thing, right? That's the thing about obeying the laws and and sensing their own laws. Yeah. So are you saying, like, it's being able to sense your own laws... Uh, an inherent trait as well something that you can only get lucky to obtain to to achieve yeah that's what i'm asking yeah yeah no i do think that i think like not everyone will have the events that spark their curiosity around the world and there also won't be enough people to spark them as well right so you either have things that happen around you or you have people say stuff or you just happen to have a big brain. Mm-hmm. But if you have neither of those three, then yeah, I mean, why would you bother thinking about those stuff when you can just, you know, sit down and eat, drink, and other insanitary stuff every day, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I'm also conscious of time. So uh, it's an interesting read. Like, I'm, I'm glad you recommended this book to me. And I, I think it was Artem that recommended it yeah, to you. Yeah, give the credit to Artem. I see. And it's funny because I wouldn't have picked this up because I thought it was like a 500 pager. And when I looked at it, I was like, oh, actually, I can I can probably get through this in a weekend. It's been a week and I still haven't finished. Take your time, man. Take your time. At least you started it, though. Exactly. Uh, but I'll say this, though. Like, OK, here's my final question to you before we yep. we ended off. Like, would you recommend this book? And if so, like, is there a target 
audience you would recommend. It's the same thing with Dorian Gray, where you only read this book if you want the ideas in it. Because the ideas are quite well presented in a way. Like, the logic is well articulated in a way that you can follow it if you really put the time in. And it's not overly convoluted, right? Mm. So if you want to learn more about, I guess, um, Hess's way of thinking or the idea of idealism, then, yeah, go ahead and read this book. But if you just want to read a nice coming-of-age story, like Superbad and how they McLovin their way into buying some alcohol, then that's probably not the story for you. Okay. I don't want to put it as self-help, but it's more like you read it, not for the plot, you read it for the ideas, like Dorian Gray. Except this one, I feel, Dorian Gray was pretty much an example of what not to do. This guy was more like, hey, this was my story. Feel free to repeat or not repeat my mistakes. Something like that, yeah. No, I don't like the word self-help. It's like... Mm, It's not. Yeah, it's not not self-help. It would be self-help if they listed out what the ideas you should be taking away. But no, this is uh, definitely a brain exercise to read. Okay, so you actually have... It encourages involvement, I think. Yeah, you need to be involved to take the story. Alright. It's not listed out to you. It's not a self-help book, I'm sorry. All right, guys, that's all we have for today. Thank you for listening in. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify. Just type in Paper Cut Podcast in your search bar or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.cast at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.cast no caps or twitter at papercut podcast one word no caps look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode until then i'm nick and i'm eugene peace out